Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Jay Anelli. I'm Brian Dawes. And I'm Carrie Thomas. And it's just the three of us today. No Chris, no Lorelai. Lies. Lies. Wow. wow. Or am I Chris? No, I'm not. <laughs> you can't no. pull that one again. <laughs> uh, but we also have uh, another guest with us tonight who's going to hang out and chat. Uh, Nick, why don't you introduce yourself? Hello, everyone. My name is Orthos Nick of Gathering the Magic channel on YouTube. You can find me there sometimes. But lately, I find myself more on TikTok. And I have a series there currently where I am rating your favorite commanders and describing why it is I hate them. So thank you guys for having me. And I'm happy to be among you this evening. Uh, yeah. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Um, yeah. So Nick is uh, Nick's just a cool guy. Uh, we wanted to invite him on because we had uh, been chatting with him for a while. He's been a, a cool person in the magic community uh, that I felt could use a little more uh, a little more notice uh, than he's gotten because he's had a great YouTube, like I mentioned, the great YouTube channel, uh, and now he's got a TikTok, which I will have to go check out because that sounds hilarious. <laughs> uh, all right. <clears throat> Carrie, do you want to talk about Dominaria United, episode one? No, I want to talk about Spellslingers. Let's talk about Spellslingers for like five minutes. Yeah, so Spellslingers is uh, Carrie and my new obsession. Uh, <laughs> we we were like the fir- we must have been like the first ten people on the app <laughs> because like my second match ever was randomly against Carrie, <laughs> uh, and they trounced me. Uh, they, they 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 kicked my butt, but. Um, it is it is fun. It is uh, also kind of funny because it is just different enough from magic that if I switch over to arena afterwards, I'm doing things like missing attacks when blockers are tapped and that, that kind of thing. It's it's ugh. I I legitimately think that spell slingers is probably one of the funnest ways to experience magic without playing real magic because it's just nonsense games and it's a very very closed environment at the moment because there's only two card sets i really think that are really in there yeah Um, so far yeah but it's it's a lot of fun i encourage everybody to give it a shot and if you don't like it cool uninstall but (laughs) it it legitimately is pretty fun has some um funny voice acting and interactions i was playing as liliana today and got paired up against gideon for the first time playing this liliana deck and she calls him Beef Slab. So <laughs> it, it got a little bit of love and affection from um, people knowledgeable on the story and has cute interactions like that. So, yeah, basically, you get to pick a planeswalker to build your deck around. And planeswalkers have their own abilities that will affect how you build the deck. Uh, so it feels a little bit like. I think the best description would be like Oathbreaker, but it's not it's not like you have a planeswalker you cast and you have a spell to cast, but it's like you have It's Magic you have Vanguard like, Hearthstone. Yeah. It's, it's definitely. You yeah, have, that's you that's have the best these way to special describe powers it. that are associated with your character and um kind of just build your meta decks around them. It is the best version of Vanguard Wizards has ever produced. Yes, for somebody who who actually enjoyed Vanguard and likes the idea of customizable um, decks centered around those kind of abilities, it is perfect environment for that. But yeah, there's my plug for a game that I've legitimately probably sunk 20 hours into over the past two and weeks. Yeah, it's and just, just point to... out that that art style is really really nice and refreshing to see with Magic characters. As well. yeah. yeah, and it yeah. like continues into the cards of themselves. It's like not exactly Magic's art style, but like a little bit more cartoony and a little bit um, exaggerated proportions on some of the characters. So I, I think it is a lot of fun. Like it is, it is very cute. Um, it is, it is, uh, it like Nick said, it's just a very refreshing style compared to magic's sort of hyper realistic style or abstract style this is more of a i don't want to say cartoony but definitely like exaggerated proportions um and it's just it it lends to the general vibe of the game as a bit more of a light-hearted thing versus uh the 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 more serious magic the gathering card game 
but yeah, there were there were stories too, I guess. Ah, stories. <laughs> Who reads magic story anyway? We got Dominaria United and another um, small shotgun burst of stories right before the preview started. So our our actual first story in the main story series. So we start off with episode one, Echoes in the Dark by Langley Hyde. Um, where we begin is Karn researching the Silex, but in a very roundabout way. Because he's, so he's digging into the actual caves of Koilos, looking for any way that he can actually activate the Silex, which I don't think was a concern in the um, Dominaria 2018 set. He was just more concerned with finding the Silex, but finding the on button for the Silex so you can actually blow things up is proving a little more difficult. So he's trying to find any relic from the past time, past or further time that the Silex yeah. actually originates from. I should I should mention this real quick, because the Silex, how you activate the Silex, right? It's got the writing on the inside. But here's the thing about activating the Silex. You get one shot right like if if you mess up you it's not like he can test it <laughs> so he really you know he just need they need to be sure before they show up you know somewhere with the silex and then oops this isn't working or blow themselves up you know testing it is not a good idea yeah or anyway, so did live through did live through his activation of it uh that was Seemed partially because of his spark igniting. We haven't seen a living planeswalker try to activate it. So I think preservation of self in some sense is a concern. As is, you know, actually making sure it works and doesn't just dud on you while Phyrexians are assaulting. Um, So he breaks through to a very, very ancient workshop. Continues talking to himself the entire time despite not having any good reason to talk to himself, (laughs) finds paper that has very, very ancient paper, um, talks to himself, the paper disintegrates. So he has to resort to a clay (laughs) tablet, um, pulls it back to a safer space to actually examine what's on the tablet. The tablet writing shifts languages in front of him, which is, I believe, a deeper reference detail than I'm aware of, Jay. Uh, yeah, yeah. If I recall, I mean, honestly, I did all the research for this, like, a while ago, so I don't remember (laughs) offhand, uh, but the, like, the writing on the Silex and stuff was, uh, I believe a conscious choice, the way, the way we did it, because the Silex itself did, was written in, like, many different languages, uh, but also, as you see from Karn's Silex, the Silex has gotten a, um, art direction update. Uh, It no longer looks exactly like the Golgothian Silex, which I think Golgoth is a spot in the Bible uh, that Mm -hmm. probably didn't want to reference again, hence Karn's Silex. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and then he starts piecing together the language and realizes that he is missing a piece of the clay tablet, wants to go find that final piece to the clay tablet, but one of his excavators shorts out again. Um, he fixes the first one prior to this by literally pulling out the worn down gear and just like using his powers. I think this is legitimately one of the first times we get to see his power set in the story. It, it is, which is because like he, he sparks at the end of the invasion novel or the apocalypse novel that he comes back for Jessica and like we see him on Argentum, AKA Mirrodin, but he doesn't actually do anything. Yeah, so. like, all of Argentum's creation is off-stream. During Time Spiral, he's kind of more preoccupied with non-metallic objects that are happening around him. So, yeah, like, he can literally just reshape metal in front of him. Um, kind of Tezzeret style, but more intrinsic and kind of knows what materials he needs and is able to summon them in the moment. It's kind of like Sahili. Yes, yes. I was just going to say Sahili. Much more comparable to Sahili than probably Tezzeret in that fact. Um, he replaces one of the gears, but with the second excavator, he finds that it has hit Phyrexian tubing, and he knows um, 
he knows that the Phyrexians are here. He has had a feeling about it, and nobody really believes him, especially Joyra. Uh, she thinks this is all kind of a vain mission and related to, you know, Venser kind of giving up his life for Karn in the first place. So he finds Phyrexian tubing, and it is newer tubing, and sprays oil on him. Nothing to really worry about there. He decides It's to, probably fine. It's probably yeah, fine. The Phyrexian machinery kind of contracts and seals off the ancient workshop that he had found. And so he has no real path forward except to continue into whatever this Phyrexianized area of the cavern system is. Um, and he does continue on there. And dispatches <laughs> dispatches basically every human that he encounters except for rona during these scenes um two humans attack him he pushes them off without care kind of thinks like i wish this was a little harder for me and then <laughs> um, puts them in stone braces that again he manifests out of um the aether and then sees that a shieldred is there B, Rona is there, and C, they have a whole bunch of um, disciples of Gix, disciples of Rona and Shieldred at this point, who are coming at him and attacking him. Um, again, this isn't a really fair fight. They're going up against a just block of metal and kind of get pushed around until Rona has an eye cannon and blasts at him. Um, he starts to manifest during this battle a... Um, incendiary device that he is going to place inside of Shieldred and blow her up because obviously she does not belong here. He has no idea how she got here, but this is um, how he needs to end whatever Phyraxian presence is on Dominaria. Um, he fights with Rona. Rona gets some good shots in on him, um, but he continues forward and tries to place the device inside of Shieldred. Successfully does goes to flip the switch and uh, Rona is using her magic to keep him from activating the incendiary device. He is stuck there, unable to fight back against the Phyrexians. A whole bunch of spider mini shieldred things, <laughs> pieces of shieldred essentially, uh, fall over him and escape the cavern system along with Rona. And during his first part of this story, he was reminiscing on how kind of horrible of a father Urza was to him, which is a big topic in the community that he kind of just did abuse him ever since his creation. <laughs> um, and I, I didn't mean to laugh. No, I didn't mean. Yeah, no, no. He abuses card. <laughs> but as as Rona and Shieldred are departing. Um, she twists it on him and says that he has forsaken his people on Mirrodin because they were finally reaching perfection, but also that he had forsaken Memnarch, who he had left there without much direction and had led to kind of the original sparking downfall of Mirrodin in the first place because he was the one who got corrupted by the Phyrexian oil, wanted to essentially ascend to godhood planeswalker status after karn time warped the entire plane in the process it was a whole mess and he was not there and present for his creation in the same way that urza was and she says like i have a thing against bad parents and <laughs> karn is frozen there as the cavern collapses around him and due to the nature of the materials around him including interplanar portal parts from invasion one and other miscellaneous materials, he cannot planeswalk out of there. He is the only one who actually knows that there are invasion plans for Dominaria, and that these Phyrexians have multiple locations. They are moving since this location was compromised, but he cannot tell anybody. He cannot planeswalk away. He just gets to lie in rubble. <laughs> that's where we leave off. Now who's laughing? Me. <laughs> <laughs> It was yeah. a kick-ass way to start off Dominaria's story. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. So, Langley Hyde just, like, 
she really nailed like the tension and the pathos for Karn throughout this whole thing. Like it was just, it's it was great. It was great. I know I you know I don't want to. I'm not gonna lie. It had me in my feels because I was like, I, that's the kind of stuff that I do sometimes. Just like. I, I, I kind of overwork and then like I'll th- be thinking about stuff and just be like, yeah, I probably shouldn't be doing this, but, you know, I deserve whatever comes of my actions, even though I have, I'm not doing anything blatantly wrong. It's just, it's, it's, it's just the way that they wrote Karn's inner dialogue about how he views the world can be really it felt real to me and I just didn't like it. I felt attacked. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. If I can piggyback on that, Brian, I, um, the, especially the part where Karn is reflecting on the fact that he hasn't responded to Joyra Mm -hmm. and just being a person who has friends who live, you know, all over the country. I suddenly understood that, that, that sort of feeling when like maybe it's been too long since I've contacted this person. Is it, is it too awkward if I try to do it now? Uh, yeah. You know, maybe I should just be responsible for these things on my own and not bother them about them. So I, I definitely liked that portion of Karn's reflection as well. So it was really good, really good characterization. Yeah. I, I legitimately think that his kind of, locked on attitude like he needs to do this thing and he appreciates there's people that there are no people around him to distract him from everything but still even now he just like gets to experience that loneliness and think back on Urza and Venser who admittedly Venser he didn't know it for too long but Venser did die to kind of you know save him and keep this plan of resisting Phyrexia in motion so for as much shit as I have given Karn in the past for feeling bad that Venser died for him when he barely knew the dude. Um, it is, it <laughs> what is are you talking legit- about? They were best friends, Carrie. Yeah, yeah. There's a little bit of uh, uh, a chronological order to those events. But yeah, for the most part, like Karn still does have centuries of guilt associated with everything that's happened. Um since he was created, since the original Phyrexian invasion, all his friends that he saw get killed during then. <laughs> so made it feel like it was a truly sore subject for him and that he was doing his damnedest to prevent the next one. Which makes it all the more tragic when he's powerless at the end. <laughs> yeah. 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 I should also note for those of you who aren't familiar with like Dominaria lore or anything. So basically Karn starts off the story, his introduction, his real introduction, not his creation story in time streams. Uh, He's been frozen by the touchstone, which is an artifact uh, with the legacy that basically put him in safe mode. (laughs) It's like uh, you touch him with it. It's like control alt delete. Um, And so this is, these are the uh, Phyrexians rediscovering whatever magic was in that in order to kind of keep Karn from being able to act. See, uh, now I was thinking Nolrod, <clears throat> but that one's actually relevant, so there you go. <laughs> I mean, it could be, it could be. You gotta also remember, this is spoilers for a later episode, but at this point, uh, Urtai is back as well, uh, and he knows a lot of things uh, about the weatherlight and the legacy and, and more all critically that stuff. squee and more criti- critically squee yeah he was very important to have in squee story <laughs> let me tell you what uh no it was great that's a whole different thing that's a whole different thing like when when you guys talk about dan sheehan's story holy crap i don't know i know that we're not supposed to t- we're not talking about it today but there was uh, that just from the very first draft had me giggling through like the whole thing. <laughs> um, no, but Langley, uh, like her work in episode one was just on point. Like I really enjoyed, it was just so tense and I was like, oh man, like I'm actually scared for Karn. Like I know what happens, um, but like I'm scared for him in this moment too. Uh, which was, it, it was just very cool. And uh, Langley also did 
I mean, I won't be on for the epi- for episode three, but like having a the thing closed locked tower episode uh, where everyone's just paranoid and like talking to each other and splitting up, even though they definitely shouldn't split up. Yeah, loved it. <laughs> Don't Absolutely you know? Loved it. You never split the party. <laughs> but anyway, the other thing we wanted to talk about tonight was homecoming. So we're talking about these stories a little out of order because uh, when I asked Nick uh, to be on. The thing Nick wanted to talk about was Liliana and the Raven Man stuff, right? I did. I did indeed. So, well, I'm going to do a quick uh, recap for Homecoming, uh, and then we'll talk like right, just chat Liliana, Raven Man, that whole arc in general. Uh, so, one thing I want to say here uh, is that Shannon McGuire is fantastic, and she nailed this. And hilariously, like when speaking with her like I, you know for for a, a little peek behind the curtain here for magic authors i have no idea how much familiarity they have with magic lore overall uh if they're familiar with more recent stories if they're only familiar with old stories um or where they're at um but shauna knew exactly who limdul was <laughs> from the start uh and it was it was real fun it was real fun working with her on this one um so homecoming uh so i'm just gonna go through this kind of short and then you all can talk about the episode itself uh the story itself um so basically homecoming starts off with liliana still on strixhaven uh when like the raven man appears to her or maybe doesn't his powers are real weird uh, you never know if he's really there, or if he's just taunting you, sending you a vision, or what. Um, anyway, he shows up and pesters Liliana, and he's like, oh, you've just become so boring. <laughs> uh, you're teaching? Like, you had such a great destiny ahead of you. Uh, and Liliana just like, you know what? F this guy in particular. We're going to go find some things out. Uh, goes to the bibliopl- biblioplex and does... Uh, something that like magic characters need to do more often, which is uh, research. <laughs> she she goes into the library and she starts doing some research and she figures out who the Raven Man is. And then she returns home. She goes back to the Vess estate to confront the Raven Man. Um, reveals she knows who he is and he kind of laughs it off. He's like, <laughs> that is a name I used to go by. Uh, and if you have not seen my Who the Raven Man is chart, there's a reason why we'll probably just call him the Raven Man from now on is because even though he is Limdul the Necromancer, he's also had like six other names or other beings that are a part of him. There's like Mersil, there's Limdul, there's Lichlord Scavius Slan, there's Azar, not Azor, Azar, a person whose body he inhabited. There's, you know, Jaya uh, for a little bit. <laughs> like and Sarmal. Yeah. Uh, swaps with. Yep. Yeah, yeah. There's just there's a lot. There's a lot there. Um so yeah. <laughs> but this isn't the end of the story because Phyrexians are also there. Who knew? There's a Phyrexian invasion going on. Uh, and Liliana gets confronted by Ellis Ilkor, who uh, her, she and her Phyrexians are after something on the Vess estate. Um, now, th- this requires a little bit of backstory. And in case you didn't figure this out, uh, one big thing Shieldred was doing on Dominaria was removing all existential threats to new Phyrexia. So anything that caused problems for uh, Phyrexia in the past on Dominaria, she was working on getting rid of. Now, uh, you know, Karn and the Silex and the Mana Rig were big ones. Uh, But there's a certain character who in two of his novels takes control or tries to do Phyrexia crap. And that is... Mersel the Pretender and Limdul the Necromancer, basically. Uh, where in the original novel, The Gathering Dark, he wants to sacrifice Joda in order to open a portal to Phyrexia. He doesn't quite understand what Phyrexia is yet. Uh, and then thousands of years later, in The Shattered Alliance, uh, he takes control of these uh, Phyrexian war beasts 
that were buried under the city of Soldev uh, in order to wreak havoc on the plane. So, you know, he's he's messed around with Phyrexia stuff in the past, and that's why uh, the Raven Man mentions it's gotten him killed twice. <laughs> he's like, I don't want to mess with this anymore. <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, so Liliana, uh, after f- trying to figure out what the Phyrexians want, discovers uh, she has like a vision, basically, uh, of this artifact that's buried deep underneath her ground um and basically we see that uh it's implied that well the ring the artifact in the ground is the ring from marisol the pretender which was like a kind of a phylactery type thing that had his soul or spirit in it uh possessed combined with limb duel uh before they got split the body of limb duel went to Chandelar while the uh, the ring stayed behind and ended up possessing Jaya for a while. Um, it's a whole thing. It's So here's the other thing is this story had to kind of explain this backstory, be able to move forward, but also not be a giant lore dump. Like, I rec- if you've looked at my flowchart for, <laughs> for this, this is a complicated backstory. Uh, that needed to be explained in a very uh, concise way that gave some answers for deep lore fans, uh, but also was not alienating for newer fans, or at least not too alienating. Um, <clears throat> it doesn't hinge on you reading a game guide from 1996, which I think yeah. is critical. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's hilariously so. Uh, when we talked to Jeff Gomez the other week, that was part of the reason I was talking to him about it. Because, like, uh, I, I kind of alluded to it during our discussion uh, about, oh, did he was he involved with writing the story? What about the game manual for that? With what <laughs> happens to uh, to Limdul suddenly being relevant again 30 years later? Uh, but, yeah, so she discovers that the Phyrexians are after this ring of Limduel. How they know it's there, we don't know. There's, I'm sure there's some explanation as to why. Um, she ends up defeating the Phyrexians, getting uh, the ring buried farther away, and kind of uses this as an opportunity for leverage on the Raven Man. So for 200 years of her life, the Raven Man has kind of been this figure that's always had the upper hand when dealing with Liliana and now finally Liliana knows who he is knows his weak spot um the raven man he's he's I'm trying to think of a pg-13 way uh, a pg way of phrasing this uh the raven man is now sort of under Liliana's thumb uh she's not afraid of him anymore if she wants to at any point she can come back and destroy him, basically, or what's left of him with this ring. Uh, and so that's where the story stops, with Liliana finally closing uh, the chapter on her of her life that started with the Raven Man, led to the Chain Veil and the Four Demons, um, and she's now closed the book on that chapter of her life. She will not be making those same mistakes. Um and she will uh, kill anyone who tries. Uh, I, I I really enjoyed the way Shannon characterized Liliana in this story, um, where she recognizes she made mistakes, she wants to move forward, but she's still very much Liliana. She has not added white to her color identity. Like, she, she is not about the greater good. Um, well, sometimes about the greater good. Uh, but she is still very much Liliana Vess while moving on from all this desperate stuff in her backstory so with that that that, that's about all i was gonna say for the story itself uh do you three have anything you want to say about the story before we talk about like raven man stuff in general um just that it's it's interesting um you say that you know she's super confident now at the close of that story she she feels like she can um you know destroy him if needed be but the very last thing we see is the Raven Man, like, smiling to himself, happy that he's once again manipulated Liliana into doing what it is that he wants her to do. And he's pretty confident that she's going to end up, 
you know, bringing him into fruition again, bringing him back to life somehow, um, even possessing her body at some point, perhaps. Um, so I just, I find that that interesting and I'm happy, I'm excited to see where they go with that. Is this the Raven man's, you know, his last hurrah or if he still has some trick up his sleeve for Liliana? Yeah, I mean, she doesn't hate him enough to A, destroy the ring or B, throw it into an abyss. So she she is willing to leave it there to mm-hmm. utilize at a later time and as leverage over him but at the same time like a big part of Dominaria 2018 was you know a planeswalker digging up an ancient relic in order to utilize (laughs) it so it's like Mm -hmm. it's not very safe ground to have it but at the same time um we'll see exactly what story like obviously it is a maybe they don't have a story thread in mind right now but they mm-hmm. do want to utilize Lindell at some point later on. Um, but I just don't see her getting tricked into being the Raven Man. I see her possibly offering it to him. And, you know, Raven Man kind of um, probably trying to betray that offer at some point. But we'll see. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, that would be really interesting. I um, mean, I also really. In- Oh no, Lindul is just not a very loyal dude. Like he was like, <laughs> loyal to Lestrat, gotcha. but in yeah. the sense of like he needed him to get places. And as soon as he was able to be free of Lestrat, he was fully willing to betray anybody on Chandelar in order to get himself some sense of freedom. Yeah. <laughs> He's ruthless. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was also really interesting to see Liliana using so much power without the chain veil and just her acknowledgement of, you know, her being on top of the the grave that had, you know, all of her family members there. And so she's drawing off of that power and she's just able to even reduce these Phyrexians down to, you know, just the the metal that they have left and then and then take control of them and put them against Ellis. And I just thought that that was so cool for her to be able to use all that power without the chain veil at at her side. Yeah, there's nowhere... uh, This is something we've discussed a little bit in the past, where certain planeswalkers have, like, places of power. And I think there is nowhere in the multiverse that Liliana... I mean, outside of maybe Amonkhet, just because of the nature of the plane, right? Where we saw it kind of with Nissa to... on Zendikar. Yeah, so the on, finale with to N- battle for Zendikar Oath, where she's yeah. just able to channel that much energy because she's familiar with it. Like, it's not necessarily a big issue. It's just like you're going to be more powerful in an environment you're familiar with. Yeah, Liliana is so tied to the Vess estate. You know, it's something that's been in the back of her mind her whole life. Like, it is definitely a place, now that she has defeated her brother there, finally put him to rest, uh, come to terms with, like, what she did. She's not running from it anymore. Uh, It is, you know, just a massive, I mean, honestly, it's a massive swamp where she used to grow up. I can't imagine there'd be another place in the multiverse where I would not particularly want to mess with Liliana Vess at this point. (laughs) oh right yeah so uh shall we talk about the raven man in general yes because i want to know like first of all how did like what what is it that they're after underneath the swamp that like is so important and why does ellis know about it and why doesn't liliana just get it and take it somewhere else i think she was worried uh, I mean, touching the ring is a bad idea. That's, that's fair. That's kind of... But I mean, that's kind of a meta reason, too. Uh, I think she did not want to be burdened by it, right? Like, pulling it out and actually touching it probably wouldn't be great for her, no matter what kind of artifact it was. You know, the last evil artifact she picked up, uh, she literally <laughs> couldn't put it down for, like, five years. So... <laughs> Fair, fair. She's like, uh, no, I won't be touching that. Thank you. That it's buried so far that it would take her a few days to have 
the 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 dead basically hand it up from yeah. how far down it's buried to get all the way up to her is buried by some ancestor long ago and has just like as the ground has shifted and become swampy it's sunk deeper and deeper uh, yeah and like she's not a she's not a uh, lithomancer like she can't just manipulate the dirt out of the way like she's manip- i thought it was a cool idea for her to manipulate like the dead in the ground in order to move it around in the ground um but yeah so this whole raven man plot itself was God, what was it like 15 no it's more like 15 years in the making uh like the raven's eye let me just look up the exact date here before I before I spout off something. So the Raven's Eye, the first story to feature the Raven Man, uh, was like 2010, so like 12 years. Yeah. Um, July 1st, 2010. Uh, and that might not even be... That might just be when they posted the collection. The actual one might be earlier. But it has been a very long time uh and there have been so many times where they've hinted at something and it was just time i i think one of the things i i want to be very clear the decisions to make this happen weren't mine like i i have talked to people my opinion is well known on on this whole thing and what it should be um but honestly i think I, I don't think anyone disagreed that after like 12 years, we should probably go ahead and resolve this plot line. <laughs> yeah. So what do you all think of the, the revelation? Well, having known you for as long as I have, I, I'm, <laughs> I wasn't surprised. I, I think there is only one plot line that I can think that's even close to the, the length. And that's cough being MIA but like that's that's still <laughs> that's still not even close so like I, I think we're long overdue for this revelation whether it be uh, Limdul or somebody else uh, like I, I think magic needs more big bads and I can't wait to see how this escalates especially after the Phyrexians are either victorious or defeated so in one of the sets in the future and like you know Nicol Bolas has been put to the, the, the meditation plane before he can con someone else into giving him their spark which we'll see how that goes Emrakul is in the moon I, I think we, we could use some more big bags and I think like Oko showing up in um, uh, oh gosh idiot I'll drink I'll drain. Well, no, no. I was going to say Oko and then the other guy from... Uh... Luca? Yeah, Luca. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's nice that Magic is developing their stable of baddies and Limdul is a good one to bring back. So I'm kind of excited to see where this goes. I just hope it doesn't take us another decade to get there. well the good news is because we're no longer spending an entire year on a single plane for a single plot line uh things can come up faster for sure i think since war of the spark they've probably churned through magic stories faster than they have in the past uh in terms of like how quickly the plot is progressing um maybe outside of the actual gatewatch arc itself the whole battle for zendigar to war the spark time but then a lot of people were kind of sick of that like (laughs) i think mark rosewater answered a question the other day about um people getting kind of tired of the gatewatch for a while so the the like the first year or so after the um after war the spark was very much just you know a little bit of a cool down palette cleanser period um but anyway raven man yeah so gosh we should i just talk about like the the history of the raven man here do you think yeah do you want to talk about yeah. that all right please please do j13x wait, let me just bring up my flow chart <laughs> this will make my life so much easier uh raven man 
while we're mentioning baddies to come in the future, I'll take this opportunity to say whatever way they can get Aminatu into the story, I'll take it. She has to be evil, so be it. I just <laughs> I just need my favorite walk to appear. I, she won't be real for me I, until she's in the story. Based on the power set that was, was described, I don't think Magic's universe could uh, handle her being evil. See, but, like, that's the thing is, like, they have retooled people's power sets a little bit. And I think, like, if they walk that back, it would be fully understandable. Like, not Completely. that many people read a 2018 article on her commander story. People are familiar with her power set, but if they limited it in scope or, like, gave her a good reason not to utilize that power set, in the same way that Tafiri like, has access to go back in time, but has sworn himself not to meddle with it, like, that's that's a perfectly fine line to draw. And, yeah, I was always against Estrid and Amanatu getting sidelined for um, different reasons. Like, Estrid, her supposed reason was wasn't, like, able to be visually represented in a lot of um, other magic expressions that they wanted to use. And then Amanatu, Mark Rosewater, said, like, oh, well, a little too powerful. And I'm like, you guys have control over the power level. Like, <laughs> if, if, like, exactly. if Nissa was able to, like, literally upend the world as, like, part of her original character description, and then they were like, hey, that might be a little too powerful, and then it's like, oh, she can only do it within, like, a 12-foot radius of her, people would be like, oh, that's understandable, because otherwise she could just, like, pick up land and squash it on whatever thing she wants to defeat. <laughs> it's like, you have control over how powerful these characters are and what motives they have in the story to use their powers or abstain from using them. Or, heck, the limitations is the best thing, uh, the best thought that I didn't yeah, I don't know why I didn't think of it like maybe she can only do certain things or cert, for a certain amount of time like it's yeah she's only I'm sure she's more concerned about you know instant gratification candy theme park, <laughs> things like that you know probably not using her powers to the absolute max that she possibly can that's probably not something that eight-year-old thinking about but we'll see so, the uh, one thing I wanted to mention there, you're talking about Planeswalkers, and I'm pulling up my list here, because even conservatively, looking at canon Planeswalkers who are still alive, I mean, we're dealing with, what's this number here? You know, we're dealing with maybe over 50 Planeswalkers right now, and wow. we get like, five a year uh they went on like a they they went on a, like a planeswalker spree for a while there but they're now they're in a situation where like my boy Doretti appeared in one story in fiora and like we're probably just never gonna see him again which is fine because if we don't see him again no one can murder him again <laughs> uh, no one can murder my boy last time my obscure favorite planeswalker came back they killed him to lincoln park uh, <laughs> but if we uh, but if we get Doretti or Aminatu in comics, then I think everybody would be happy just to have a second story <laughs> of Doretti yes. or a first story of her. Agreed. Yeah, I think. Um, but yeah, I think that's the advantage of the Boom comics is they can bring in these obscure characters and just do fun things with them if they want to, um, and we'll hopefully see more of that going forward. Uh, but anyway, who the Raven Man is. So let's start at the very beginning, back in the dark, which is around 430 years after the brothers, or after the Urza and Mishra are born. So on Dominaria, I always have to, to start with this. On Dominaria, time uh, is measured from the birth of Urza and Mishra, which is the year zero, basically. Uh, about 430 years after that, uh, Joda who is a legendary creature in this, is just a young man at this point. He's a teenager. Um, he learns that his mentor, so he ends up at this place called the Conclave of Mages, and he learns his mentor, uh, Mersil, wants to kill him, sacrifice him, to open a gateway to Phyrexia. Uh, and Joda has discovered that if 
Mersol's teacher has been imprisoned in this cage beneath the conclave. Uh, and he frees Ith. Ith is super pissed, ends up killing Mersol, but the ring gets, uh, Mersol has this magic ring that gets left behind. So fast forward 2,500 years into the Ice Age. Uh, the A Kildoran deserter from the Ice Age uh, named Limdul stumbles across the ruins of the Conclave of Mages and finds the magic ring and becomes the great necromancer Limdul. Uh, and he very nearly conquers the plane uh, with his zombie army using like nationalist tactics to get the Kildorans and Balduvians to turn against each other. He gets a whole bunch of uh, people, a whole bunch of very nationalistic military folks to basically drink poison Kool-Aid, uh, drink poison wine, kill themselves, and then he reanimates them as these fresh, very, very useful uh, zombies to use in his armies. Uh, Joda and Jaya end up bringing the Kildorans and Balduvians, the warring factions together to defeat him. And Limdul's planeswalker patron, Lishrak, shows up, not happy that Limdul has wasted his army uh, that he was supposed to make for Lishrak to conquer Chandelar. Uh, he cuts off Limdul's hand with the magic ring and takes Limdul to Chandelar. On Chandelar, Limdul uh, proves who he is. Uh, this is where he's a, a shows himself as kind of a bad, uh, manipulative, scheming badass, uh, where he gets Lishrak and Tevishzat to fight each other and basically leave the plane, uh, weakens the plane's planeswalker protector to the point where he has to go into hiding, and then over the course of 12 years raises a new army to conquer the plane. He ends up getting um, trapped in uh, the planeswalker protector's student's body, a character named Azar, who, who tried to use a binding spell on Limdul, uh, but Limdul used like a soul swap spell at the same time, and they got mixed up, and they both got trapped in the same body. Uh, the binding spell creates this great barrier that's like, a, it's the immortal sun in reverse to keep planeswalkers away from Chandelar. Uh, and so the two are kind of entombed together, because neither the as the two spirits are fighting, they can't do anything about it. Then Alliances rolls around about 20 years after the Ice Age, and we learn Jaya has been infected by this magic ring. She picked up picked it up from the severed hand, uh, and when her planeswalker sparks ignites, we talked about this during the Ice Age story, uh, she's able to burn off the influence uh, and kill the Marisol that was stuck in the ring there. Or at least that's my interpretation. I should be clear, this is all my interpretation of stuff. <laughs> what I say on this podcast is not canon, necessarily. <laughs> like, this isn't deep lore. Uh, this is deep lore for you, but it's like my interpretation of these events. Then we have the Wizards War, and this is part of the backstory. Uh, Carrie mentioned, like, the game manual from 1996. Uh, so basically, Limdul... Uh, the version of him on Chandelar, which is now also a disembodied spirit, uh, wins control of Azar's body. Uh, but when he wakes up, he finds the plane is ready for him and he is defeated. Uh, his, his soul is stored in a magical artifact uh, that continues to power the great barrier around Chandelar. Uh, while the body he was inhabiting gets resurrected as this uh, lich lord named Scavia Slant. That was the one I talked about earlier. Then you have the whole Chandelar game where this planeswalker named Arzakhan tries to get the five wizards who defeated Limdul and are supposed to be protecting the plane to turn on each other and release the spell that'll destroy the Great Barrier so that he can enter and invade. Uh, but the player character, if you win, uh, you defeat Arzakhan. And we don't really know if that's a canton ending or if um, or if Arzakhan succeeds and the player, you know, game over is the canon ending. That could also be a possibility here, actually. <laughs> it just occurred to me that that would be a very clean way of handling it. Uh, but anyway, then you got the Anaki extinction. So this is from like a 2014 story, Veil of Deceit, where Liliana returns to Chandelar and sees a vision of the Onaki being uh, wiped out. Uh, and Limdul has talked about, like, the way the sky looked, the way the stars looked, the night all the Onaki died, which, you know, heavily implies he was there. Um, 
this is the event that I think kind of swapped. Maybe Limdul got out of the Chain Veil, and that's when the Alionaki were imprisoned. Uh, it's an Onaki artifact. It is a soul-harboring artifact, So, and it's heavily implied in Homecoming that the Chain Veil is the artifact Limdul was uh, imprisoned in. My personal thinking, and again, this is just my personal thinking, is that someone finally cast Arzakhan's Spell of Dominion, or maybe the game over of the Chandelar game is the canon ending, uh, and the Great Barrier falls, uh, and the Great Barrier is, of course, in the Chain Veil. So it was sought out, and whatever the spell did, Limdul got free, and all the Onaki got killed and imprisoned in the Chain Veil in his place. Okay, but quick tangent. Um, are there any cities on Chandelar that are named after Planeswalkers who could have cast that spell of Dominion? Gosh, I don't know. There is a city named Lesh. Wouldn't that be <laughs> hilarious if Lashrak was the one who inadvertently freed Lindul? Like, wow. So, okay, let's rewind a little bit. What, what, are, what time are we at? I won't tangent us any further because we can continue on Raven Man's path, but I just thought that would be funny. Um, so, oh boy. Um, so the backstory for this is we were actually researching slivers for something Lorelei was working on when I discovered that the Onaki catacombs and the catacombs that Limdul hides in of the Planeswalker Protector uh, have to be in basically the same place. And then I was like, man, doesn't he also have like a magic artifact that imprisons souls there too? I'm like, these two things seem really, really similar. And that's ba- that was basically the genesis. We were, lo- we were researching slivers and stumbled across some of the stuff that led us to the to the Raven Man theory as it was back in the day. So you're the reason why Dominary doesn't have slivers and has the Raven Man storyline and stuff. Dang it, Jay. I had nothing to do with slivers, man. <laughs> slivers, slivers are their own worst enemy because to have slivers, you have to have a lot of slivers. The Mark Rosewater said that, so... You know, it'd be, it wouldn't be Dominaria, it'd be Sliveraria. Um, <laughs> I don't know, that was a terrible joke, I'm tired. Yeah, that doesn't flow as well. Boo! <laughs> Boo that man! Boo! Um, Obnixilis shows up at some point and gets himself cursed by the Chain Veil into a demon form. Uh, the whole demon form thing, too, is a whole tangent theory thing that I'm not going to get into. Uh, and then here's the bit that's mentioned in the um, in the the backstory that Liliana sees in a vision. Uh, one of her ancestors uh, back on Dominaria acquires Marisol's ring. So we've had two tracks here. We've had the Dominaria track, which is like uh, the Jaya stuff, and then Jaya burns it out, but the magic ring is never accounted for again in the book. Uh, and then we have the Chandelar stuff, which is where all the limb duel stuff is happening. Um, so one of Liliana's ancestors acquires the ring, believes it too dangerous to keep, and, uh, without the power to destroy it, because this is a powerful magical artifact, uh, that survived Jaya's inferno when her, uh, Planeswalker Spark ignited. Uh, they'd bury it on their grounds to hopefully be forgotten. But then, on those same grounds, years later, a young, uh, a young woman is dabbling in necromancy. So, uh... At this point, things get a little wonky. We don't know exactly how Limdul switched planes again. Maybe he hitched a ride as a sort of psychic parasite on some other planeswalker. Uh, maybe there are a lot of creatures back in the day who could just move between planes despite not being planeswalkers. There were planar portals open all over. We don't know exactly how Limdul or the Raven Man did this, but we know he had some sort of metaphysical connection still to the ring. So even though the Marisol spirit has been burnt out, this his soul is basically was fractured when Lashrak cut off his hand and basically made it so there were two limb duels uh, in two different planes. So he's still kind of, sort of metaphysically connected to it. Uh, and that's when we get into all of the Curse of the Chain Veil stuff and all the way down to this Dominaria United story. So that's who the Raven Man is. Um, and we now know that the Raven Man is still sort of metaphysically connected to this magic ring it might be his last anchor to to life since he lost his bodies thousands of years ago and is probably looking for other ones we don't we don't really know what he's up to just yet i'm thinking 
Liliana's ancestor's name was Smeagol Vess, and that he found <laughs> the ring in a river. Oh, That's my theory. Wow. <laughs> solid, solid. So by the time this episode comes out, the Lord of the Rings TV show will have aired. <laughs> so, oh, no. And wait. That. There's that. And night. I gotta gonna watch uh, She-Hulk tonight, and we'll watch the. So we're recording on Thursday. I need to watch She-Hulk. I'm so mad though. Everyone in this, uh, everyone in this podcast Discord server, they're like, I always see so many spoilered out, like redacted stuff. I haven't seen that much redacted text uh, from a day a Marvel show or a Star Wars show releases uh, since I worked actual emergency management and worked with classified material. <laughs> I'm like, wow, like I, it was easy. <laughs> anyway it kind of saddens me that it took a decade for them to come around on this because obviously there were other intentions at different points in the story for how exactly this tied in it wouldn't it wouldn't be as messy of an outline if people hadn't had their own ideas when they were writing um i'm not sure that helen and wyatt and anybody who picked up on Raven Man in the time following them necessarily had a unified idea of who he was or what he was getting at. But yeah, I haven't actually, I haven't actually asked. I should be very clear because I didn't want to, I didn't want this ruined for me. The reality is yes. I think when the Raven Man and because I haven't asked, I can also talk about this because I can be clear. This is just, my general thoughts uh when the raven man was created he probably wasn't intended to be limdul i think by veil of deceit in 2014 and the arc with in the gatewatch saga probably yes uh then he then the story got handed off to the franchise team then it got handed back to studio x but with basically an entirely new story team from the ones who were working on the gatewatch saga because everyone else moved on to other things um, so I think Jenna Helen probably had a headcanon for it because James Wyatt has described talking to Jenna about what her idea was for it before he wrote Veil of Deceit. Um, but the reality is with stuff like this, like you have to wait for your opportunity to tell it. Like there's not a lot of good places to tell the Oh, actually, this guy is Limdool. Who's Limdool? Uh, you know, you yeah. really need to be on like a Dominaria set or a very Liliana focused set that also isn't focusing on something else where this is just like a random thing that happens. Um, and I think we got really lucky that the current team liked that route and that they got Sean and McGuire, who is fantastic, to write it. Uh, it's just, it's very nice to have something like that work out in Magic Story. But I also know there are a lot of other theories out there that of things that people wanted it to be, whether or not there was evidence supporting those theories. And it's completely understandable when people get upset. Uh, you know, like, everyone, when you've got some, a mystery boiling for 12 years, everyone's got their own, like, slightly different idea of it, right? So yes. it's never going to satisfy everyone when you finally reveal. In a mystery that only ebbed in and out of Liliana's exactly. stories. Because, like, Raven's Eye had him. Agents of Artifice did not have him. Uh, Innistrad did not have him. Didn't have a story at all. By the time we get to Shadows, has him again. War of the Spark doesn't have him. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. and then Strixhaven doesn't have him. So, like, we didn't really know whether he necessarily would be abandoned. By Strixhaven, I was basically like, it's been a decade. I don't know if they're actually going to bother with this because it was such a small plot line and it was kind of tied into the veil that got handed off during Forsaken anyways. But yeah, I'm glad it finally found a place to resolve because <laughs> probably hilariously, literally the long-standing theory. Hilariously, Strixhaven also had um, that one legendary guy who also had a thin face oh, with yeah, the goatee Raven. and the hair. And immediately everyone was like, is this the Raven Man? The real Raven Man? Uh, and yeah, it was... It was. I, I can't really blame them for that, because, you know... I mean, they also did that with Urza. 
with yeah. just having <laughs> this a goatee. Is true. This is true. <laughs> it turns out there are just a lot of magic characters with goatees uh, and thin, fa- pointy faces. Uh, with that, so I'll, I'll I'll ask our guests first. Do you have anything else you want to add, Nick, to all that before we move on to our final thoughts? Now that we hit an hour. Um, no, just that. Um, overall, I enjoy both the first chapter and Homecoming as well. Um, but then again, I am super easily pleased <laughs> when it comes to Magic: The Gathering story. Just give it to me, please. Um, so I am looking forward to, um, you know, the next episodes, you guys discussing, you know, what else has happened in the story and then the actual, um, meeting of all this in March of the Machines. So, uh, real quick before we do our final thoughts, where can people find you, Nick? I am on YouTube. Um, If you find, you can search either Gathering the Magic or Vorthos Nick. Either one will lead you to me. And then um, on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, uh, pretty much any social media medium, you can search Vorthos Nick and I'll pop right up. Awesome. So let's move on to final thoughts. I have just started playing uh, Into the Breach. Uh, outside of Spell Slingers, I've now gotten addicted to like three different mobile games. Uh, but so Spell Slingers and the other one is uh, I forgot that Netflix was doing like video game stuff. So I saw Into the Breach. I'm like, oh, I wanted to play this. I got it on the Switch, but it wasn't really a game I wanted to play on the Switch. However, it is a very perfect mobile game. Uh, and Into the Breach is so much fun. It is just a very small like micro strategy game. Uh it's each each mission is only five turns but there's so much strategy it's almost like a puzzle game positioning units and stuff it's a lot of fun it is a lot of fun and there are lots of different squads to play with that i've been uh, experimenting with i know lorelei's been into it for like years but uh i couldn't really get into it at first because it was uh you can't you can't save scum in it which is my favorite <laughs> thing to do in these games <laughs> until until I finally came to terms with the fact that the save scumming is just restarting the game with a pilot that's slightly higher level. Like, that's that's what it is. So, anyway, that's it for me, Brian. Uh, who's the next? Is it Carrie or Brian? Me. Uh, my final thought is that uh, Disney is going to do their own card game. And this is very interesting to me because... <gasps> oh, yeah. Lorcana. Yeah, Lorcana. And uh, it's very interesting to me because if you think you, you haven't seen, like, if you think Magic Secret Layers are one thing, seeing Disney release park exclusives, I cannot wait to see the videos of random, like, 40 year old men and women pushing people out of the way to get to the, the shops to try to get these <laughs> stupid, uh, these, uh, random park exclusives of the most blinged out versions of Moana or Emperor Zerg or some random uh, Disney character and I expect this like even if the game isn't great I expect this to do buku business because Disney collectors are no joke it's like no matter how iffy the game with anything with collectability that Disney touches turns out to be like they, they sell pins at these parks and people are insane trying to get to these stands to get these park exclusive pins like it's insane and I cannot wait to see all these videos all the while I worry for my wallet because if the game's any good <laughs> oh man it's gonna be a scary sight so I should note a couple things. One, it's a Ravensburger game. So this isn't directly from Disney. It's a it's a licensed product with or a partnered product with uh, Ravensburger. Partnered. I I I don't think I could describe the difference between license and partner. But basically, partner they have a little more access to the actual Disney folks than a license would have. Um, but and also, you know who the creative lead on Lorcana is? I do, but why don't our you own favorite. Our own favorite Kelly Diggs. So I definitely want to check it out just for that reason. Yeah, like, no matter what happens, even if I don't end up playing it, I'll probably end up buying, like, first edition booster boxes just in case to just stick it in my closet for a couple years. Even if the game isn't <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's probably a solid bet. Uh, Carrie? 
I was active back in the amiibo craze for the first few months of that. Oh I God, imagine yeah. it'll just be the duplication of that. Then it peters point. off. Now we get one new amiibo every like six months. Ooh. We can't <laughs> find it for six months and then it's everywhere forever. Yeah. No, it was, it was quite the time. And <laughs> respect to everybody who wants to play that collectibles game because I, I do not have the patience for it. I just wanted a Bowser Jr. amiibo. That's all I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> um, my final thought though is I've been reading Saga another another thing that's been around for a decade and is still going it's a good comic turns out and i'm approximately 10 to 12 years late to this train but i've been enjoying it so check it out say the comic again saga oh saga yeah Yeah. saga is uh definitely like rated r but it is uh, maybe even nc17 comic but it is it is extremely good yeah yeah it's amazing to have like pretty much 10 volumes to go through and still have to catch up on actual paperback issues that are coming out now. <laughs> so, <laughs> yep. Yeah. Cause it took a solid uh, break for a while there. Yeah. All right, Nick, do you have any final thoughts you want to add? I do. Um, so as a Soraka support player in wild rift, I just wanted to leave on a question. And my question is for the duo players. Why do you start the game so late? (laughs) That's all I want to know. If anyone can get back to me on that, any avenue of social media is fine. Just answer that for me. Why do you start it so late? (laughs) All right. And if you too are late to supporting the Vorthos cast. God, that was an amazing segue. Well done. Perfect. Uh, Very good. Very good. (laughs) Uh, You can find us on patreon.com slash the Vorthos cast. We've talked a little bit about our discord here. We've had uh, uh, some live listeners on today. Uh, But generally, I think it's the $1 tier. You can just access our Discord community, uh, which is a lot of fun. It's the only Discord community I'm really active in. Uh, We've got a lot of really great people. We're always talking about stuff. I mentioned uh, there's already been like, you know, an hour's worth of discussion about uh, any Marvel show, you know, by like 5 a.m., (laughs) <laughs> in our spoiler <laughs> chat that's all redacted beautifully so no one gets spoilered uh it's the only place i feel safe going on on days when that new star wars show or that new marvel show comes out because then it's my own fault if i click the uh if i click on the, the redacted black box text. of text yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but it, honestly it's a really fun community uh and if you want to support us uh you are welcome to also we still have some play mats if you guys want a vorthos caps play mat we uh reach out let me know uh, and i will ship them out to you and thank you all for listening this has been the vorthos cast <laughs>